Welcome into Bearcat Rewind. March Madness is finally upon us. A year ago at this time, we had no idea what would unfold in just a matter of weeks with COVID-19. But that was 2020, and here we are in 2021. Our eyes are ahead on the postseason for winter sports. The MIAA basketball tournament gets rolling this week, and the indoor track and field national championships are coming up next week. So it is a great time of year. And today on episode number 62 of the podcast, we talk with a former hero from Northwest Missouri State postseason basketball, former sharpshooter and current men's basketball assistant coach Zach Schneider is with us today. During his four years playing, Zach went down as the greatest three-point shooter in MIAA history, knocking down 373s over the course of his career. And the crazy part is, he wasn't known for that coming out of high school at Shawnee Mission East. He talks about that a bit in our interview. And currently, Zach is in his third year as the assistant coach under Ben McCollum. So a fun conversation today with one of the great young coaches in the sport and one of the all-time great players at Northwest. Bearcat Rewind is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. More information is available on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu slash alumni. And also Clorinda Regional Health Center, offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through local team of providers and nurses. More information at clorindahealth.com. Today's conversation with Zach Schneider highlights his most memorable moments in the MIAA tournament, his growth as a young coach, and just how good is his three-point shot right now. Let's dive into this week's episode of the podcast. Northwest Missouri State men's assistant coach Zach Schneider joining us here on Bearcat Rewind. And Zach, as we record this on Friday, the night before, a win over UNK. The Bearcats cutting down the nets, which has kind of become a tradition. Not just winning championships, everybody does that and cut down the nets, but it feels like there are typically a couple different times to cut those down uh, each year for the Bearcats. Does it ever get old? Is it just something that's kind of exciting, climbing that ladder every time? You know, I would had the conversation with uh, Austin Meyer this morning, the exact same conversation. And uh, I think seeing your name at the top and the feeling of winning and, and just winning every year, uh, that never gets old for me. Uh, the fanfare around it tends to get a little old um, for me, just – I know we have new players that haven't experienced it before, but just being around so long, you know, staying around a half court, taking pictures isn't exactly my thing. I, I love doing it just because we're winning. Um, but I've, I've never been a big picture guy, a big, big celebration guy, and that, I'm just kind of on to the next thing after we win. So uh, I obviously really like finishing first and winning. That never gets old. Um, but, you know, the ceremonies every now and then you can do without. That's unfortunate because I feel like I've seen quite a few Facebook posts of people wanting more Zach Schneider pictures. <laughs> no, it's they're they're in high demand, so uh, it's disappointing. You got to get me in a good mood. I'll catch you on Saturday. Um, I've heard Coach McCollum talk about obviously you like to win and you don't want to lose, but he loves that process and, and grinding and working with the players and, and developing them and, and seeing them grow. What's that like for you? Do you prefer the game day, the practice? What is it for you now as a young coach as opposed to being a player? Yeah, I, I know Mac definitely prefers practice. I mean, I, I enjoy both of them. Uh, game days are obviously exciting just to get to, to see the results of the week of practice. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't been in it overly long, just three or four years now on staff. I think just seeing kids come in and develop um, is probably one of the um, greatest things of our position, just for example, right now, Ryan Hawkins, he was a redshirt when I was a senior and, um, 
I mean, you get you ask Brett Doherty, Devontae Mosby was back in town yesterday. We were kind of joking about it, how uh, we we have these one-on-one guard-the-ball stations, and, and you're always with your position group, the big. So we were all in the same one with Hawk, and it was just um, – it was basically an easy bucket anytime you were going against Hawk that, that year in 2017. And um, obviously, two-time player of the year, defensive, um, and, and then um, first-team All-MIAA multiple times now. So it's, it's just really fun to see – um, kids put in the work and then just look back and see how far they've come uh, just in terms of their personality and in terms of their game on the court. Yeah, and he's grown a lot, and it's kind of fun. We watch the Bearcats night in, night out, but then you kind of look around the conference and certain players that kind of grow on you a little bit and you enjoy watching. And, and the MIAA tournament's always been uh, a great avenue for that, of seeing so many different teams in such a short amount of time from around the league and around the region. A little bit different this year with the tournament going to campus sites due to COVID-19. I know that a lot of people like to be on the road because it's a chance to build that camaraderie and you see it throughout the regular season. But I'd have to imagine that previous years, being in Kansas City, being there for nearly the entire week, it's just yourself and your teammates and teams are dropping around you left and right. That's a little bit more special and a few more memories are made within those walls of the hotel room in a game like that. Yeah, it definitely is, and unfortunately, we don't get to go down to Kansas City for obvious reasons, um, but just being able to go, uh, you get there a day early, and being able to go down to a historic building in, in Municipal and, and watching four games just to get a feel for the atmosphere is, uh, is really special for the kids, and I enjoy doing it still to this day, so um, then we get to compete the next day, you usually get a day off, and like you say, you're just, you're just surrounded by basketball the whole time, and um, it's the beginning of a great month in March and, and, and the beginning of a lot of exciting games. Give me your top MIAA tournament memory to this point. Coaching, playing, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the obvious one for me would probably be my senior year against Southern. Um, that That's really the only buzzer beater I've hit in my, in my career, uh, going all the way back to as far as I can remember, so. Uh, that that would probably be up there with me. Just having lost to them earlier in the year and getting a little redemption and, and kind of end their season was pretty special. Um, I'm trying to think as, as a member of the staff. Uh, I think the best atmosphere we probably played in was that undefeated year when we played Washburn, I believe, in, in the in the final. I think there was a good five, six, seven thousand people there, um, and, and that was one of our most complete games. Um, I, I know we were on a big run in the second half and we got a steal of some sort, really good defensive possession. And then uh, Trevor had the lob, what, what felt like from half court to Diego and, and pretty much just brought the roof down. That was, that was probably the loudest I've heard that jam. So I, I'd probably go with those two scenarios. And I'm pretty sure that championship round when you were on the staff and that, that last game you mentioned against Washburn was uh, a MIAA championship weekend record of the women's game and the men's game this the largest crowd they've ever had. And, and of course, uh, whenever you have a championship, you're getting a few more people in there, and depending on who it is in the region. But obviously a chance for to see a team go 38-0 brings out a lot of green and white, but just Kansas City basketball fans too. So uh, pretty pretty incredible year there. The game where you mentioned that the buzzer beater, of course I had that listed in parentheses of it has to be the the right answer. Yeah, that one's that one. That was a three over CJ Carr, correct? That was, and he and he fouled the crap out of me. Did I, he? I still believe that to this day. So What's... it didn't get called. <laughs> so I'm up in the stands about midway, and I think that your back was to me when you shot that. So I I didn't see the foul, but he closed out hard. He was in your grill. He's not the largest basketball player no. on the floor, but that's a tough shot. 
That was a tough play, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was a really tough shot. And I, I mean, we were over there, um, Welty and I remember in the corner, uh, and, and everybody knew the play was going to JP, and it was just going to be the top ball screen, let him go to work like he usually does. And um, JP definitely preferred to drive right uh, in his career, and he, he did his usual left-right cross. And uh, I, I wasn't sure if CJ was going to help off or not. Uh, he did a, a tiny little stunt that made JP give up the ball, and I knew at that point there was less than five seconds left, and I'm not not um, not necessarily a lead off the bounce, so I was going to have to get a shot off. Uh, so obviously quick trigger it felt like just kind of a heave uh in the moment but looking back it, it was really just um the product of a, a, a bunch of hours of um of hard work on the gun and, and really just muscle memory at that point but yeah he didn't give me any room to land at all um so I, i'm surprised there was a ref standing right there maybe maybe i was blocking his view but yeah he fouled me thankfully it went in and uh, obviously lucky to pull that one out and then i believe we beat central missouri uh, later um, that that next day, and, and funny thing, that was probably the biggest shot of my life. And then the next day, I think it was like one or or two of twelve. So um, <laughs> thankfully, I got it out of the way. Um, got the got the big shot during the semifinals, but didn't have anything left for the championship game. Hey, you got what you needed to get your team there, and and you ride a, exactly. a win over UCM to win that MIAA tournament, and. That takes us into the next topic I wanted to talk to you about because you mentioned this during one of our pregame interviews a couple weeks back. But you were in the running between Northwest and Central Missouri to continue your, your high school, your college basketball career, I guess, after wrapping up at high school. Were those the only two dogs in the fight to, to get you to come play? Uh, really early on, I remember the first contact that a college coach had with me was Truman State, and I, I went to a camp there. I don't think they recruited me overly hard um, throughout my senior year, but the big three were Northwest, UCM, and then Jewel. I think after taking visits, I actually called UCM first and told them it was going to come down to Northwest and Jewel. Um, I, the whole time, just throughout the process, I was I was pretty confident I knew where I was going to go. It was just kind of delaying a big decision in my life that I just, for some reason, put off for a while, which probably stressed my parents out quite a bit. But uh, I, I was pretty set on Northwest. Um, just after playing with the guys, I remember I came up and played pickup, and actually Justin was on the visit at the same time, and we had really good chemistry and, and, and just kind of felt welcomed by the guys. And Not that I didn't at Jewel, but just kind of a different vibe at UCM um, when I played pickup. Just, um, I guess you could use the word culture. It wasn't necessarily what I was looking for uh, at UCM. And then um, yeah, when it came down to Northwest and, and Jewel, I, I, I remember actually going to, uh, with my dad, I went to the um, 2013 MIAA tournament final, which was Northwest against UCM, and that I believe Bryston had a really big game. It went into overtime. I think Northwest had D'Lo out. Connor Crooker was out with an eye injury. Um, and watching that, along with playing with the guys, watching how they kind of fought, even though um, they ended up losing and were down so many players, was kind of what sealed the deal for me when it came to, uh, to making a decision. And that was a great game too. With you're right, Bryson did put the team on their back. And then, I guess the next year was your was your freshman year, and they yep. ended up reaching the Sweet 16 and nearly knocked off UCM to to reach the Elite Eight. Um, so kind of crazy how things turn out there. Did you visit UCM before Northwest? And is that when your mom was kind of pushing you to to go to Warrensburg? Yeah. So I, I think um, I visited Northwest in the fall of my senior year, and then 
uh, once the season started, I was just pretty focused on that. And we had a really good year that year, my senior year, when we had been um, down the last few years. So I was kind of just enjoying that and, and focused on that. Uh, and then after the season, I know we visited UCM on either a Wednesday or a Thursday, uh, went and played with their guys, and then um, left. And I think she, I, mean, I think she was just a big Kim Anderson fan in general, uh, and she wasn't pushing me necessarily to cancel the Northwest visit, but she was just like, you know, we could we could make the call right now to Kim. And I was like, no, let's just let's let's just see. Um, and then I think the next Monday or Tuesday, I came up and played with the guys and. Uh, it's really funny. Jesse and I had never um, had never played with each other. We had actually played against each other um, in the Mo King um, Missouri Kansas All Star Game, um, but we were on the same team in pickup, and uh, we I mean we just lit it up. Um, and I think we both uh, neither of us had been offered at that point, um, but we both got offered that day, and then I committed a few days later, and I think he was a day or two after that. So it's, it's just kind of funny how things started and, and seeing where they. Um, ended up four or five years later. Before the pickup game, Justin's a quiet guy. Did you guys chat <laughs> each other up a little bit? And you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at shooting threes, and you know, I'm pretty good off the bounce. I mean, was there anything that you could have possibly known going into that little pickup game that would lead to what we see now? Um, I don't think there was really any talk. I mean, we were, we were uh, both pretty shy guys at that point and especially in the situation that you're in you're going up against a, a really good um, program you're just playing against a bunch of college guys for the first time you're not really sure what to expect so like i said we like we had played um uh, against each other once or twice in aau and once or twice in that all-star game um, so we obviously knew each other's games and kind of what our strengths and weaknesses were um but it, it was it's really funny looking back because we we just stepped on the floor and we were um really just running the top ball that we ended up running most of our careers and, and I got a lot of shots off of it and he obviously um got a lot of opportunities to score as well so I think AP tells a story he I, I was pulled from the pickup game um we were both playing really well and um Mac usually brings recruits up to his office and then I got offered there and then um when when we were done with the conversation I think I was headed out with my parents and uh, Mac went back to watch, and uh, the two games that had occurred when when uh, when I was up in Mac's office, JP was just going nuts. Not that he wasn't already, but um, he basically scored all the 15 points that he needed to win in those two games. And AP and Meyer were like, "Man, we got to get this kid too." So uh, ended up working out, and then it's just kind of funny that that top ball screen we went to a lot and um, in really big situations throughout our career, and it kind of just originated out of the blue in that in that uh, pickup game. It's a pretty big, uh, pretty important afternoon in Northwest Missouri State men's basketball history. Uh, in, in a, I don't remember right back too far. I mean, I obviously know the Bearcats had some good scorers and Deshaun Cooper there prior to, to yourself and um, and Justin. Of course, you overlapped Deshaun a little bit, but is that the origin of the unbelievable three-point shooting we see at Northwest and just kind of what we see night in and night out offensively? Yeah, I think that was probably the start. Um I mean, they were, I think Mac was a little surprised and not so much the coaching staff because I know Thomas Brock was the main one that was recruiting me and had been to a lot of my games. Um, I was mostly a mid-range shooter in high school, and I, I think I took 100 total over four years, 100 total threes. Um, so I could definitely shoot the three, and it was at 35 40% throughout my career. Uh, it just wasn't something that I was overly, um, overly excelled at. I played a lot in the post and mid-range because that's where my team needed me. Um, but then once once I got to Northwest, um, 
obviously had Dylan, Dylan Starzl, Kyle Schlake, Grant Kozad, a lot of really good bigs. And to get on the floor that year, I kind of had to be a stretch four, which was a position that uh, they didn't really have at the time. So uh started with that pickup game, and then they, they kind of saw me in that role um, as, as just a knockdown shooter. And it wasn't to the extent that I got to my junior and senior year. I took a few twos, I think 20 to 25 twos my freshman year, just off O-boards and um, maybe a few drives off closeouts. But, yeah, it's it's really funny to um, tell the story to some people. Just I took 100 total threes in four years of high school, and then my my uh, my freshman year at Northwest, I took around 150 in one season. So it's <laughs> it's pretty funny to look back and see where it's gone. That's crazy. At any point, did the coaching staff say, you know what, don't don't worry about trying to post up or go in the paint, or are you like, you know what, I'm just going to hang out here and just get open. Is that okay? Yeah, I I, I know. Um, you they don't necessarily tell you not to do things here, and that's what one of the biggest things that. Um, we've done a really good job of is, is um, not being negative with kids. Like, don't do that. Don't drive here. Don't post up. Uh, it's more, I want you to do this because this is your strength. And I think that's um, one of the special things about our program is that really encourages players to, to excel in their roles uh, as opposed to doing four or five things um, kind of average or a little above average. We want you to do one to two things great. Uh, and that's, that's kind of, um, that's kind of how, how my uh, role evolved is I remember a few times my freshman year nothing specific but just I'd, I'd take a one dribble pull up inside the line and, and Mac would just be like just, why wouldn't you just shoot the three uh, and, and it just kind of evolved from there and um, I, I got a lot of my two-point attempts I remember my first two years off off offensive rebounds um, and then by the time I was a junior and senior we had a lot better athletes Brett Chris um, Anthony Woods David Kurth um, that ended up crashing instead of me, and I became a back man, more of the transition defense guy. So um, that's where a lot of the two-point attempts left, and it, it basically was just the three that was left. We transitioned from the uh, all-time leading three-point shooter in MIAA history, which is a pretty good stat for you to have, um, to being one of the 50 most impactful D2 assistant coaches uh, in the country. You named that during the offseason here from – Going as a player to becoming a coach and, and growing, how do you get to that point, I guess, to where you have these guys that are kind of your peers and you're working with? You mentioned a Ryan Hawkins to where now you're on the bench and you kind of have a, a different role there. I don't say as an authoritarian or, or anything like that, but you're obviously in more of a leadership role and in trying to coach them up and, and lead them. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely odd. Um, it, it was nice to have a transition year. Because I was the I was the second GA with Christian Phelps um, was in his last year as a GA and then Meyer was uh, still the associate head coach my first year on the bench uh, so that was a nice year to just kind of sit back and observe obviously you have recruiting roles and um, just little things without the program that you do but nothing like the next year where Christian left Meyer took the head women's job uh, and we hired Bryston Williams who was who was here for um, a month and a half or so in the summer and then ended up getting a job with the Detroit Pistons which you can't really turn down so. I went from being the second GA to the head assistant uh, in a matter of three months. And at that point, you're just kind of thrown into the fire and you got to figure things out. And I'd be lying if I said it was a really smooth transition. It was it was definitely tough um, coaching guys that I had played with. And at that point, most of the guys I had played with. So it was definitely a, a year adjustment period. And, and thankfully that year, we were really good. And um, so it, it was definitely a transition, but um, Max is such an elite coach, and, and he obviously made the transition a lot easier just because he does so many um, things in practice just with coaching on the floor and 
I really had to focus on my roles of, of just making sure you didn't have to worry about anything off the floor. So I did that and then kind of grew um, on the court. Now I'm definitely a lot comfortable um, coaching those guys on the court as well as off the court duties. Well, yeah, you mentioned what you're doing out there and, and what people see on game day of you on the bench and communicating with Mac and the players and all of that. And there are a lot of other little things and, and not necessarily just basketball related that coaches have to do to obviously schedule buses, hotels, the pickup, um, uh, getting food for after games and, and shoot arounds and so much more that goes into it. Whenever Bryston leaves, you slide into that role and another assistant coach isn't hired. And so it's just you and Mac that first year. What's the anxiety level as those first couple months get going? Yeah, I mean, early on it was pretty high. Um, it was really high, I think, for everybody. Just because we had lost Brett Doherty, Jessica Pitts, Xavier Kurth, um, and then Chris and Dow. So early on, you know, you go through preseason practices and I think we had a really good preseason, um, but then once you you haven't really played anybody other than yourself. So the first time that we that we ended up playing somebody, I believe it was Jewel at our place in a scrimmage, and we had three scrimmages lined up. Uh, and the first scrimmage against Jewel, I think we might have lost by one or two, and it, it wasn't pretty at all. We we played awful. Trevor, I don't know if he if he scored. I remember. Um, Trevor turned the ball over on like the first possession. Matt called a timeout and basically ripped him. And this is Trevor's first live competition uh, ever since that. Um, the rest of the game, he was pretty bad. So I remember after the game, we had about a two-hour film session in the conference room. And and, and he was I, – I didn't really know what to expect at that point because that was my first time in that role in that position. And, and Mac, was, Mac was very, very stressed and just kept talking about how bad we're going to be this year. And I was like, yeah, well, it's just the – First-time assistant, I didn't really have a ton of confidence in stepping up and saying the opposite of him. So I was like, you know, let's just let's just see how it goes. It's just the first scrimmage, and then progressively play better. The second one, I forget who it was against, but I think we might have won by five or six. And then the third one was at Rockers, um, and that's just kind of when things clicked. And um, I think we ended up winning by thirty, shot over sixty percent for the field of three, and then um, the rest is kind of history. Ended up winning a, a tough one against Northern. Uh, the defending runner-up in the first game, and, and then just just didn't lose the rest of the season. Pretty simple, pretty simple stuff. Just don't <laughs> lose any games. You know, as, as an assistant entering the year, sixty-nine and one, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It couldn't. It's not seventy to zero, but it's pretty good. Yeah. So Definitely. it's funny too to think about what those scrimmages were like, the stress, and, and of course you go down the line of Deshaun Cooper, Justin Pitts. There's no way you can fill those shoes. Then that first game, wasn't the first game against Northern that maybe Trevor had like 25 points and everybody's like, huh, he's pretty good too. But it's yeah. looked nothing like those scrimmages that you describe at all. No, it's, yeah, he, he came a long way from that first one. And he was he was good all preseason. It was just that, that first little bit of competition when Matt got on him. And um, yeah, he I think he had over 20 in that first game. I know he had a bunch of big buckets down the stretch um definitely when we were down two i remember he split a ball screen um to tie it up and then we got to stop to head into overtime and ended up pulling it out but uh super impressive i know i know his redshirt year was massive going against justin every year and I, I just remember justin lighting him up every day and um i'm sure he took a lot of things from that year defensively and offensively learning from um such a great player and the same thing happened with justin his redshirt year from uh deshaun cooper Year three as an assistant under Ben McCollum, 
you don't know what you don't know going into it. Obviously, a lifetime of basketball, but you're still learning from one of the top head coaches, regardless of level, in Ben McCollum going in. What are you learning from him, and, and what is that difference as an assistant coach doing those film sessions and talking with them as opposed to being a player? Yeah, I don't think you, as a player, we obviously have really detailed scouts and you see what goes on during practice. I don't think, um, as a player, you understand the amount of time that the staff, and specifically Mac, puts in um, watching opponents, breaking down our own film, what can we do better offensively, what can we do better defensively. Uh, and just the immense, the, I mean, it's just an unbelievable amount of details um, that he that he goes through every single day to make sure um, both our offense and defenses is where it needs to be. So um, just the amount of time he puts in, you don't really see. Uh, and then just his his um, his consistency and his work and, and how he comes to the office every day at the same time and um, just puts in a full day's of work and makes sure that we're we're the best program um, that we can be. And I think that's the biggest thing. He's phenomenal at, um, and we talked about this on a lot of um, halftime interviews, he's just phenomenal at looking at what can we do today to get better. He's a very process-driven person, probably the most process-driven person um, I've ever been around, and that can be frustrating at times because you're sometimes staying two hours after a win. It's just like, <laughs> can't we just enjoy the win for a little bit? But um, yeah, he's he's just always got the um, the team and the program in mind, and he, basically every action he takes throughout his season and his day um, is designed to make it better. Whenever Andy Peterson and Austin Meyer were on the staff, for the way I understand it, Andy was a little bit more high-strung and intense, kind of similar to Mac on the bench, and I think Austin kind of the keeping things a little bit more loose, and, and uh, not that it was loose and he's joking on the bench, but, you know, just kind of a little bit lighter than those two getting a little bit intense on the bench, and I think occasionally there would be some back and forth. Can you give us a window into what the conversations are like on the bench right now between head coach Ben McCollum and assistant coach Zach Schneider? Yeah, a lot of it is uh, I do the subs in the matchup, so a lot of discussions are about that. Um, and he'll let me know if there's there's a bad matchup on the floor for sure. I mean, that's really the only time I ever um, get yelled at or anything of that nature. A lot of it's just um, what what am I seeing on the floor? What can we do better? What sets can we run um, to get some more movement on offense? And um, I mean, he, he's got a pretty good idea what he wants to go to going into the game, but obviously things don't always um, work out like you draw it up on paper. So uh, he, he's done a really good job of asking my opinion, Dave Curse, um, Dre Starzels, and and I think he's he's done a really good job on relying us this season when he when he needs help. So, um, it's, yeah, it's not anything overly complicated. It's just more what we're seeing on the floor and what we can do better. Are there any times that his mannerisms or things he kind of shouts out during the game, in the middle of one that you're probably winning, you have to like hold back any laughter because sometimes he gets a little high strung during a game. Oh, there, yeah, that happens four to five times <laughs> a game at the least. So. Um, even even when things are going really well and he sees one thing that he doesn't like, he he, he tends to have knee-jerk reactions that are pretty comical. So, um, Zave, Dre, and I have some pretty pretty funny uh, post-game talks just going over his mannerisms and, and some of the ridiculous things he says during the game. But, I mean, he, he's just such a competitor that once that, that, uh, that 20 minutes starts in the first half, he's just so locked in and um, really is just has goggles on and is only thinking about what we can do better and what's happening during the game. 
All right, I got a few more for you. Probably the hardest questions of this entire interview. So, first I'm one, ready for it. and this is going to be this is this will top all of them. You played with Deshaun Cooper as a freshman. You played with Justin Pitts for three years, then you're a GA his, his senior year. You've coached Trevor Hudgens for four years. Rank those guards. <laughs> Rank those gonna, guards after after Trevor's beyond his is is graduated, I guess. So he's room to grow. You're not going to? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Um, just because, you, as you mentioned, I've uh, been in different capacities with all of them, and they all have their 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 strengths. Um, I think Trevor's a little bit of a combination of both. Justin was just such a obviously past playmaker, um, past that a part of his game. He was unbelievable at getting people involved and keeping the flow of the offense. Um, Deshaun's competitive nature just really turned the program around, and I got to see that my senior year. Um, he's he's one of the better competitors that I've ever played with, and um, you know Trevor, I never played with, so I can't really speak on that. I think Trevor probably um, in the record books is going to go down as as the best. Just he's played more games than anybody, just with our postseason success, and um, yeah, it's really tough. And everybody's had different teams. You know, Coop didn't quite have as much space as Justin Trevor did, just because they played um, a little more. Um, Pounded inside to Dylan and and those other bigs. They played that, more that style, and then um, Justin started evolving with a little more shooters than myself and Ryan Welty, and then and then Trevor's got a ton of shooters around him. So it's it's tough to pick one, and I'm not going to do that just for obvious reasons. But they're they're unbelievable, and they've probably um, been the three best guards over the past decade, along with Diego um, at Division two level. So we're just lucky. Um, as Northwest fans and being part of the program to witness it all. I mean, you have a unique position to kind of grade them, but I respect that. What if yeah, I told you I, to to rank the coaching staff, McCollum, Schneider, Kurth, and Starzl, <laughs> who's the best basketball player of the four? Uh, are we talking currently or are we talking we'll in say our currently, careers? Noon ball right now, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately we haven't played any noon ball this year. Um, you know, I probably – pick Zave Kurth because I think he's the most active currently um, <laughs> just in terms of basketball. He's playing a lot of one-on-one and uh, plays in a few rec leagues. So I think he plays the most as of now. And um, I, I'd probably go with Zave Kurth, even though I'd like to have my shot at it too. If I put you on the court right now and had you shoot 103 pointers, how many would go down? Yeah, over 90 um, for sure. I Really? We shoot a lot. Uh, yeah. Without a doubt, yeah. We shoot a lot um, just while the guys are stretching after practice and messing around, so um, I'd be pretty confident in making over 90 right now. That's impressive. What's what's the yeah. most you've made in one sitting of shooting 100 ever? Um, we don't do – so we I, I think we've talked about our um, five-spot shooting. We do uh, 50 total shots. It starts on making the first spot, and then you go from there. So we never do it out of 100. Um, but 50 is what we usually go from. So I guess my at Southern, when we lost my senior year, we always do it the night before and the day of and shoot around. And I went 49 of 50 uh, the night before, and then the next day I went 47 of uh, 50. So that would, that would be my best 100 total that I've ever had. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Say it's a Friday night, no scouting, no recruiting. What movie are you watching? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I wasn't expecting this type of question. Um, Everything's up for grabs, right? 
Yeah, I I don't watch a ton of movies. I, I really like the Batman trilogy, the Dark Knight and um, the Dark Knight Rises. Those are probably my go-to. Uh, I'm trying to think of ones that I've seen recently. Watch a lot of TV shows and watch a lot of sports. The Office is by far and away the go-to. I've probably seen that over ten times in my life. So <laughs> it makes yeah, sense it's because TV. it's usually TV shows or sports. Okay, so so The Office is there another TV show that's a go-to? Yeah, Game of Thrones. I've seen that a couple times. Uh, that was by far and away my favorite until the end. Uh, didn't end very well. I don't know if you're. Have you watched Game of Thrones? I haven't. I, I had HBO for a while, and I just never cared to get around to it. Yeah, I would highly suggest it. I was. I, I've never been a fan of like Lord of the Rings, any of the Harry Potter, any of the that type of stuff. But once I got hooked on Game of Thrones, it was. Yeah, it's it's addicting. I just wish season eight would have gone a little different. <laughs> Here's one to check out if you have Netflix. Vikings is like a tamer, realistic, more realistic Game of Thrones. So yeah, I have heard that's good. I haven't um, I haven't gotten around to it, but it is on Netflix. It is. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix yeah. now. I'll have to check that out. It's yeah. good. I'm, I, we're looking for a new one right now. So. Um, the office is usually you just put on before you go to bed because I've seen it so many times at this point. But <laughs> I, I am in the market for a new TV show. You do remind me a little of a Michael Scott shooting baskets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. If that, that's kind of a slight to me because he's kind of arrogant and dumb, and <laughs> but it makes for a good TV show. He's he's pretty funny. So it's half court shots, so good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the, bas- that, the basketball episode is is phenomenal. That's like one of the first. Three or four episodes. All right, here's the last one, and this is this is probably the most important, not the hardest though. Do you remember the Batman versus Superman movie that came out? I don't know, five years ago or something. I think it was like Ben, Aff- uh, ben Affleck was Batman. I, I think. I don't actually. Okay, so there's a Batman versus Superman. Really wasn't that good of a movie, but the people that are like all about comic book movies and everything thought it would be better if they released the director's cut, and the director's name was Zack Snyder. Not Schneider, but Snyder. So everybody's calling for the release of the Snyder Cut. Don't you think it'd be fantastic to have a podcast <laughs> hosted by Zack Schneider called the Schneider Cut? That, that if I ever do get around to um, creating a podcast of my own, I think I think you found the name right there. That's that's pretty good. We should do it. I, I told Colin McDonough about it, like on the last road trip, that it, this just popped in my head after one of our halftime interviews. I'm like, we should do a podcast called the Schneider Cut. That's, yeah, I, I, that's pretty solid. We can get Colin on there, too. We can do a, a trio. That'd be a pretty solid podcast. You'd love that. Good. It could be pop culture, anything. Yeah, absolutely. Colin, yeah, Colin, Colin's got to be on there, though. That's, that's oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Put that in your back pocket, and we'll come around to that one later. I'll think about it. Once, All right. Once we're done with the season here in a month, we'll get back to that idea. Zach, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us, and, and good luck the rest of the way. Absolutely, Matt. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks again to Zach Schneider for joining us here on Bearcat Rewind. If you've missed some of our recent episodes, check those out. We had MIAA Commissioner Mike Racy, Northwest Soccer Assistant Quake Curtin, Bearcat Head Volleyball Coach Amy Worth, and many more. Thanks to Alex Kurt, a professor here at Northwest Missouri State, producing our intro and outro music. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends about Bearcat Rewind. I'm Matt Tritton. We'll talk to you again next time.